Oh, let's try a, a rat fly. Oh, okay. Maybe they see them, you know, maybe they don't. But, uh, yeah, you got you to experiment. And that's kind of why I, why I love this area and, and try and tell people as often as I can, like, yeah, just find something new to explore. Saturday we're going, why don't you, you know, yeah. hop in a car with us. And, and there were so many people willing to, like, lessen their experience to, to better mine. I had an art professor in, in college who used to say the hardest part of painting is painting. I think if I could take it back to, to one first memory it'd probably be not so much the fishing itself but just that early rise those first couple times where like you know granddad you know poke into the guest room and you know shake me awake and kind of the day starts there in the dark you know what I mean getting dressed and just that excitement to hit the water he had had this little cedar not not a cedar strip he, he had this little one-man boat that was powered with a trolling motor with foot pedals you know it, it's a one-man boat but when we were small kids it was two-man boat we just sit on the, the little live well and so it's you know just memories of waking up early in the morning and then kind of looking out the, the the mirror of the truck and just seeing that trailer with the, the red lights and it's dark out and all you see is red lights and just hitting the water early I think that's probably my my first memory you know we grew up in an area with just some little bass ponds you know he was a spin fisherman and and that's that's kind of how we grew up and I cut my teeth on that but uh, it wasn't so much the fishing just the, the experience of, of getting ready. And I think that's still it. I'm like still that way. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I kind of, you know, once I'm on the water, it's like, oh, the real fun part's done, the dreaming about it and the, the kind of you know, longing to be on the water and looking forward to it. It's almost like that's when the work really starts is whenever you're out there and the sun's coming up and you're ready to start fishing. And if you, your first time, if you put a cricket on or a worm or, or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Then it's like, all right, all this build up. My grandfather would take us. And I remember the night before, probably about four o'clock in the afternoon before, if it was just, you know, like a trip to Midway, Arkansas or Real Foot or something like that, start loading the camper, start loading the truck, start loading the boat, you know, everything was kind of laid out and yeah. Know, he'd go get me this, you know, it's back there in the shed. Go get a life preserver for me and your grandma and, yeah. and you. And the anticipation just building it built the whole the time. The whole time, yeah. yeah. And, and a couple of days before, you know, he might say, come help me put the camper on the truck because he had a truck that was that had a slide-in camper yeah. slid into the bed, tie that thing down. It had a huge bumper that you had to put on that had a step on it. And that's how you got up into the camper. So, man, you're right. That anticipation would just build over days. And then you would get there and you really wanted to wake up, but, but you'd been up not so late the night before that it was just oh, like, yeah, you really sleep. tired. Yeah, but now now all of a sudden it's 4.30 in the morning and you're trying to sleep like a log. And, yeah. all right, I'm going to stay up. And then you drive for two hours. and It's gotten no better. No, no, no. I, I still, I still can't sleep the night before a big trip, and <laughs> my pace heading to the water and heading out of the water are totally different. I'm almost at a run. Have I just you, can't. Have you ever sat? So if I'm sitting waiting on people to come and, and meet, I'm like sitting in a parking lot somewhere, usually at the at one ramp or the other, and man, people just fly into the parking lot, and I do the same thing. So I'm not saying anything about anybody because I'm exactly the same. Yeah. But they just fly into the parking lot, and then they're like, you know, there's gravel screeching. They're, you know, almost missing the turn. And I'm like, yep, I was that same way 10 <laughs> minutes ago. I mean, you want to kind of be mad at them? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but that was me. You know, I did the same thing. Well, welcome into Southeastern Fly. I'm your host, David Perry. appreciate you stopping in and listening with us. You can find us at uh, www.southeasternfly.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook, or you can find us right here on this podcast. We appreciate any of the five-star ratings that you don't mind giving to us. They help us out, help us actually, I guess, with moving this podcast up and getting in front of more people, which we always appreciate. There's going to be a promotion that's starting that we're going to give a prize for the positive comments. So we're going to go through any positive comments that you put up. We're going to have somebody read through those, and we're going to pick the best one, and there's going to be a, a prize or two involved in that. So if you're listening on uh, Apple Podcasts, that's where normally we're going to find those. But, hey, if you write a good positive comment, it's on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, iHeart, Podcast Addict, Pocket Cast, any of those. 
let us know so we can go take a look at it. Today, today we're traveling. So we're traveling again. We've done the past two or three episodes via telephone, which has really worked out nice for us. And the and the folks that, if you haven't listened to those, those are two really, three really good podcasts right in a row. Pretty technical, but a couple of those we've done via telephone uh, because of everything that's going in on right now. And I'm not even going to mention what's going on because I think everybody pretty much knows it's 2020. If you haven't figured out what's going on in 2020 yet, just keep your head in the sand because that's a great place to be. But today we're traveling. Today we're in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm pretty familiar with Chattanooga because we're sitting in a fly shop right now. Uh, and that fly shop is just about a mile from where my daughter started preschool, just through the tunnels here on Brainerd Road in Chattanooga. Our location is on Brainerd Road in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And it's a, a new fly shop, relatively new, called The Hatch Outfitter. Our guest on this episode has written articles for American Angler, Fly Tire Magazine, Gray Sporting Journal. He's the digital manager for all those uh, publications. He also owns the Hatch Fly Shop. He's got a long resume coming here. Please welcome in to Southeastern Fly, Seth Field. Seth, thanks for having us down. I, I don't know that all those magazines went my name associated with them. <laughs> well, I, I, I've read every one of them at least one or two things out of every one of them and some some lately they're top-notch magazines so yeah, you must yeah. be doing something right either you're paying somebody or you know what you do <laughs> one of the two it, it's a good mix of magazines for sure uh <laughs> you know definitely happy to contribute to those when i can uh, it's been a, a real honor to to get published in gray's had a recent story in there and, and, a, and a second upcoming and i know you had talked to david cannon who's been a contributor uh, anytime oh, yeah. you get a you know get an acceptance for, to to be published in there, it's it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, something yeah. worth calling mom. Both of your faces light up whenever you talk about getting <laughs> something published in there. Which I'm I'm, yeah. I'm not a talented enough writer by any means, but I can tell that it's a big deal in the writing world. Whenever I just saw your face, and I remember seeing David's face too. It, your yeah. facial expression changes to like, hey, I might have actually I really accomplished something here. This is really great. Yeah. You buy a lot of copies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for, for hosting us down here at the Hatch Outfitters. I didn't know what to expect because we had talked on the phone quite a bit. And sure. so anytime you go into a new fly shop or what I what I would consider, I would consider this relatively new. I don't know how long you've been here, but it's relatively new. Yeah. Sometimes you think, eh, maybe, you know, maybe he's got a couple fly rods and he's probably got some a few tying things and some hooks, maybe some beads. Dude, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Like musky flies behind me, I kind of <laughs> pillaged through them a little bit. All the lines. Yeah. There's 20, 30 fly rods over there on the wall. It, it didn't happen overnight, for sure. I mean, uh, so we, it started in April 2019, and I wish I could take all the credit, uh, but Nate Hefner, who was the original owner, you know, kind of slowly built it over time. So he had to, he had to be the one to deal with uh, the lower inventory and, and, and those kind of responses from people that, you know, maybe wanted a little more in the store. But now we're to a point where, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a full-fledged fly shop. We've got just about anything you could, you could want, and we're, you know, still working on getting, getting the other stuff. You really can't ever get everything you want can you no i no. mean it's just like my wife makes fun of me because i told her i sold her on the whole fly tying thing of well honey we're gonna save so much money because these flies are two dollars and fifty <laughs> the greatest lie ever told. yeah and then i mean after a year she's like oh so we're saving more money now i'm like yeah I, well no but i mean i gotta have these 10 materials to tie this new fly that sure i didn't know the fly wasn't gonna work how was i supposed to know it looked good on the shelf <laughs> yeah yeah and and covid's kind of made made things a, a little more difficult a lot of a lot of manufacturers can't keep up with the high demand of people getting outdoors. Yeah, uh, right. right now, so it's it's a blessing to the industry. I mean, it's uh, business is good, but at the same time, it's it's kind of hard to keep up with. The last time I think the industry has had a boom like it's kind of having right now is when a river runs through it come, came out. And you know, you talk back to about your grandfather, and I talked about my grandfather. My grandfather didn't fly fish, but he did fly use a fly rod to fish in real foot around those cypress knees with jigs and stuff. So <laughs> I always really wanted to, to get on that, uh, get that fly rod. And I've got that rod now. My dad brought it back for me after my grandfather passed. And then a friend of mine put it together and, and he rebuilt it, but we re- rebuilt it like an antique so it's not like pristine condition but it's like rebuilt sure. really cool so you know i think back of that but the, when the movie came out kind of like right now i'm putting the two things together like the dude the old guy tying the tying the fly at the end after we've seen pretty much his whole life from a little kid all the way yeah. through and brother dying and, and all that sort of thing and then of course the dad reverend mclean i guess his name is tom scarrett 
is his yeah, name. Yeah, the actor. Yeah. yeah, he also played in Top Gun, which is another <laughs> one of my favorite all-time movies back in the 80s, so I'm dating myself. Both great films in their, in their own right. They are, aren't they? Sure. They really are, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the Top Gun doesn't have a lot to do with fly fishing, but the movie does. The movie's all about fly fishing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was kind of a, so like you, my grandfather didn't, didn't fly fish. It was light Zebcos and, and, and beetle spins. That was his thing. And the, the whole family were, were fishers, but that was it. We kind of knew that world. Uh, and then A River Runs Through It came out. And I just, I, I don't recall if I saw it the year it came out or, or what, what year it was, but I, I do have, my grandmother was a great cataloger of all family events and, and all, all, anything that I did, drawings and, and stuff, always ended up in, in some type of, you know, memory book. And she, ha- I actually have my Christmas wish list from that year. And I was a very, uh, very uh, headstrong child, so it's an itemized list. Oh yeah. Of here's here's the the four stores that carry this fly rod. Uh, <laughs> here's the line, the reel. And the type of flies I want, and the price is all off to the side with options. And so I, I actually have that that list of the first year I saw a river runs through it, and, and the Christmas list that followed. And that that's kind of where it like kindled that one. The movie was cool. I, I have an older brother. We kind of had that headbutting oh, yeah. relationship like in the movie. So you know there there was that aspect of it, but just the outdoors and, and, and fishing. And I kind of fell in love with the fly fishing thing, but pretty briefly because there was no one there to really foster that new interest and. It kind of fell to the wayside, and I think, uh, you know, I don't know where that, that fly rod ended up, but I, I, I'm pretty sure I ended up picking up the Zebco <laughs> again and <laughs> taking back to my, my roots uh, because no one knew how to, how to teach me and, and, and further that. Now, years later, I found out my great-grandfather was a fly fisherman. Oh, really? But it kind of skipped a generation there. It would be nice to see any notes or anything like that from anywhere around where he was. Yeah, I actually, you know, pestered my grandma about that a couple of years ago because I didn't find out until about two years ago, three oh. years ago, that he, he fly fished. It just it just never really came up, and uh, he, he died long before I was born. And, you know, I was able, my grandma was able to find a, a couple of magazines and, oh. and books with dog-eared pages and, and, and notes, handwritten notes, but I couldn't find any flies or tur- tackle or anything like that. But, I, you know, I have some spools of thread and hooks and things like that that, that mean a lot to me now. Right, yeah. it's worth it worth its weight in gold to you yeah for sure yeah so you you kind of would run back to the movie a little bit i guess whenever you were trying to learn or that at first yeah that's where it kind of fostered your interest well for a while i, I you know kind of lost sight of the movie and everything you know as a kid you get into sports and, and yeah. other things I, I wish i had some awesome history like but i but i am happy for that that background that i that i did have because uh, you know adamant outdoorsman you know my grandfather and, and father and brother so we just always had that. It was like the, the, the tie that binded the family was kind of the outdoors and, and uh, still is to this day. I took my granddad recently uh, on his 90th birthday oh, uh, nice. on a deer hunt. You know, we were able to go out and, and harvest the deer. And it was just, you know, we haven't all, all four of us, my dad and brother and, and grandfather, haven't hunted together since I was a kid. And we got to do that recently. So it's still there, you know, that tie that binds us. I'm a millennial, right? And so I... I'm grew sorry. up with grew up with yeah <laughs> grew up with with media in my face at, at all times and so that was always kind of the uh, w- without having that family history or someone to kind of pass along the knowledge of like how to cast how to you know you just turn to those to those resources right and, and that's a, a story that's uh, now commonplace I mean everyone turns to YouTube when they want to learn to tie a fly and that sort of thing but that was very much me I was just in you know what I couldn't find from family I was ingesting and film and uh you know different magazines and, and stuff like that just you know I, I did lose the the connection with the outdoors for a while because you know went into high school where sports became important and then college where it was girls and yeah. sports and, and a little bit of studying in there as well i just want to put that on the record <laughs> but uh, more often than not people that fly fish at a young age for that same period of time, they kind of drift away from it as they start finding girls and start finding guys and that sort of thing. But sure. then eventually you remember, oh, yeah, I remember I was doing that and I really liked it. And then they go back. But you got to kind of get that little spot in life a lot of times figured out. Sure, sure. You know, those are like the formative years. You're, you're too busy with everything else to, to think about fishing. But now I look back and I really wish I rediscovered that love of the outdoors when I was in college. It probably kept me out of a little, a little bit of trouble. <laughs> but... Uh, Yes. Yeah, I think it takes like something to, to spark it back, to, to bring it back in your life. And 
And for me, it was uh, got married to my wife while we, we dated for many years before we were married. And, and her family had this cabin up in, in Michigan. I didn't really think much about it. Like we're going up to the cabin. Then I got there and it's just right on, on the banks of the Menominee River, which uh-huh. kind of splits uh, Michigan's Upper Peninsula and, and northern Wisconsin. And just didn't realize that this cabin was on a river. And all of a sudden, there it is. We had a boat and we had fishing poles and, and all of that. And mm. so... You know, spin gear only. Uh, this is most of my, my father-in-law's gear and, and some family stuff that's just been up there at the cabin for years. And just went out on that river and, you know, started fishing with him just, you know, real casually. And, I mean, it, it didn't take long. It was kind of like a light bulb moment. You know, you hook that first smallmouth. Yeah. And yeah. why haven't I been doing this? You know, why did, why did I, I leave this aside? And then it was pretty much a slippery slope from there. I, I remember catching that fish, and it's kind of been a blur ever since. I've spent a lot of a lot of time in the lower peninsula of, of Michigan, very little bit of time in the, in the UP. And I haven't spent any time at all in the western UP. So is that water up there tannic? Is it clear? Yes. Tell me what it's like. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, beautiful kind of dark water. I, I maybe have a little soft spot for that because where I grew up in, in kind of the low country of South Carolina, it was just, you know, all tannic water. Right. And, uh, so very so similar then. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so it was, that was another thing, like when I first stepped foot on, on that riverbank. I mean, I, I didn't expect tannic water. I didn't expect anything. And, and there it was. And it was just like it all came flooding back. You know, <laughs> like tannic water, fishing pole in my hand, like it, it just kind of kicked everything into high gear. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a truly incredible fishery. I mean, I, again, just lucked into it. My wife's family had the cabin there. Several guides that guide pretty much full-time summers on, on that river for, for smallmouth and, you know, really big smallmouth, some pike mixed in, some oh, musky nice. here and there. Mm-hmm. Just a really incredible river. It's actually one of those places that I'd go out with guides or maybe jump on a boat here or there or talk with people and the uh, the response was always, don't name the river. Yeah, right. Don't talk about it. Don't tell people it's the Menominee. If you take yeah. photos or do anything, just say, you know, in northern Wisconsin. Or, or Were you writing this time? Uh, I was, okay, yeah, so that yeah. Was or just it, just yeah. starting to to write a little bit, and, and I always kind of you know, okay, you want to respect the the law, the the land, like don't don't name the river. And then uh, in in recent years, there's been a plan to build a big open pit mine, almost exactly a mile upstream of our cabin. So I mean, it, it's it's really close to home. And now all of a sudden, there's people are like, okay, we need to save the Menominee, right? And and so you're, you know, all those guides are now out coming out and kind of speaking highly about it, but. Um, you know, Schultz, Schultz Outfitters, yeah. Yeah. Schultz, he, he does some like guest guided trips on that river. So he travels from the lower peninsula of Michigan all the way to the UP just to do trips on it. So I think that speaks pretty, pretty highly of it because he's already on good smallmouth water. And you have to remember that's the western side of the UP. Tim Landwer of uh, Tightlines uh, Fly Shop in De Pere, Wisconsin. I mean, that's kind of their home water. So yeah. good outfits up there. So do you fish streamers up there or nymphs or what do you use? It is uh, is definitely uh, kind of a streamer fishery, but uh, I've done done well with poppers up there. Just uh, kind of a, a quintessential like smallmouth experience. You're just pounding the weed beds and banks for uh, for, for fish, holding with streamers and, and poppers. Yeah. So are you are you in the camp of going by the day, like if it's clear, lighter colors, if, the, if, you know, <laughs> if it's cloudy and overcast, darker colors, or are you more of a water guy of if the water's tannic, it's a certain color, if it's clear, it's a certain color? Where do you land on I, that? I'd say if I, if I had to choose one camp, I'm, I'm probably in the, in the light and dark camp. Uh, yeah, the, the, the sunlight. No, oh, the sunlight. Sun? Okay. Yeah, yeah. If dark day, dark fly. Yeah. Uh, I don't always abide by it, but uh, when things aren't working, I'll, you kind of, uh, you know, adopt it out of a necessity like oh it's not working because it's it's light out and it's too dark of a fly right right (laughs) or it's an excuse so i've I've been going light one one side of the color wheel or the other so start off at white doesn't work try something dark that doesn't work come back a little little bit darker than your lightest so i just kind of flip flop back and forth until i think i've hit it but sure as you think you got it figured out i mean you know, yeah, all of a sudden yeah. it, does, it stops working. You go back to the lightest thing, and all of a sudden that's working. So, yeah, it's interesting. I'll, I'll start off with with olive most days, just yeah. right in the middle of the spectrum. Just if that doesn't work, uh, then I, then I'll change it. Then up. you'll flip the coin and yeah. go, all right. If it's heads, it's light. If it's tails, it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about nymphs? Do y'all do you did you smallmouth with fish with nymphs any? No, no, none of that. And that you know, I think made it a little easier fishery to learn you know it wasn't the most technical it was just one of those things where you just had to cover cover water 
right. more than than pick pick apart certain sections of water. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a rowing river. I mean, it's moving at a, at a decent pace, so you're just really hitting spots. You know, you kind of anticipate certain holes, and, and the guides up there will tell you, you know, like coming up, like get your fly ready because I yeah. want it right on the right on the edge of this this. Uh, this eddy that's coming up, so yeah, it's right in the scene. Hit it and maybe maybe uh, back row a little bit in, in some good spots, but you're you're moving pretty good. So it's one of those rivers where I'm going to back row and slow you down a little bit, where we're still going really fast. So you yeah. need to you need to hit it. And you need to be dead on. When yeah, you get yeah. There. It's relatively a shallow river, although I've, you know, there's some some deep pockets for sure. But uh, it's interesting it's, that we always hunt down the seams. I had two guys last week on the boat, young guys, just out of high school, just into college that were trying to learn fly fishing. It took it took a little while. First one, Sam, he got it he got it a little bit quicker, but both of them about midway through, they kind of started looking at the water because they really they really wanted to learn. And Colin was the other one's name. And finally I was like, we're trying to hit that seam where the water's like moving fast on one side but not quite as fast on the other or even coming backwards, you know, out of a sure. out of an eddy or something. It's amazing that that, that works pretty much everywhere i've ever been even in louisiana i mean you're still trying to sometimes hit that hit that seam you know that soft water where it's rushing back into yeah into, into a little bit a little bit faster flowing water down there's not a ton faster but it's a little faster i mean if you can hit that and get that fly in there and hopefully there's a fish sitting there i mean if you're just kind of in between sight fishing for for the big reds so yeah i mean it's, it, it does work it's nice to have those uh that that common denominator between fisheries that yeah. uh you know it's it's a predatory thing right i mean you know the fish are not wanting to spend as many calories uh but looking for the food so it's always just one of those spots you know you can find fish because they're sitting right on right on the edge yeah that goes back to i'd rather the people bring the bring the food to me than me have to go up and get it yeah you know, i'd rather have it delivered to the table yeah, it's a moving buffet line. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. <laughs> In the UP, on the Menominee, you've got tannic water, but then you're from South Carolina, so you really kind of felt at home there. Were yeah. you able to bring anything back from up there and use it down in South Carolina? Well, admittedly, uh, I, I don't I don't get to fish uh, back home all that much. All the little ponds I grew up fishing, you know, that under different families own them now, and 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 things like that and it's just it's changed I, I like to get out on the coast when i can oh, do yeah. the redfish thing yeah but you know uh no but it, there there are definitely things that i i take from the up and especially here i mean you know the up was really my first smallmouth experience we just didn't have a lot of smallmouth back home it was all large mouth right and, right and, and brim and you know just still the, the fish fry type of fish yeah but know. still fun yeah no absolutely yeah. but now i mean you know here you know, we're surrounded by tons of smallmouth water. Right. Um, you definitely kind of carry some of those tactics from, from fishing up north to, to down here. It's a little different, but uh, at the end of the day, it just the main thing is they just developed a love for smallmouth. And just, you know, non-salmonids, just getting back into to the, the less celebrated fish, right. you know? And, right. and, and that's definitely carried with me because, you know, when we go up there, uh, you know, nobody wants to catch the pike. But I never grew up with pike. So, like, I, you know, I'm like, give me the pike. I, I want yes. to catch them. Yes. And, and so I kind of carry that mentality home. Same here with, like, you know, my gar fishing and stuff like that. People are like, why do you want to catch them? I don't know because they're different. And I just want to catch them. Man, my first, I remember my very first pike that I caught. It was in a little bitty pond just down from our house and my mother drove me to the pond and sat in the car while I fished this thing was in my mind it was huge it probably wasn't huge you know but I mean as you're I'm probably seven eight years old so it was huge to me yeah and you can imagine I get that thing on and it's fighting in the pond the pond's not really big I've actually scoped that pond out on Google before and been like, oh, that's tiny, you know, <laughs> like comparing it to cars. Yeah. Like it's, it's like three three car lengths wide and five car lengths sure. long or something like that. This pike, I mean, I get it on and get it in and then I'm like, oh, crap, I got to take it off. Didn't have any pliers, didn't have, there was no such thing that I knew of as a mouth spreader. You yeah, know, like yeah. you'd use for musky or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just, I like climbed the fence to get it down there to it. I'm sitting there going, oh, crap, how am I going to, and find Finally, I don't know how long this fish was on. It finally flopped off the hook and back into the water. I was never so relieved in my <laughs> life at that young age to know that I was going to have to cut yeah. my line or reach my hand in there and grab it and get yeah. it out of there, which would have tore the crap out of my And hands. even with the right gear, somehow it, it, it never... Always I, get cut. Yeah, I'm always bleeding <laughs> at some point up in the UP and... and uh, and here as well with the gar fishing. I mean, just the other day, I had a, been waiting for a tooth to make its way out of my finger. Yeah. yeah and and it finally did. And so. But you, you did tell me you were gar fishing quite a bit. So you're using the nylon rope things. That's what you're A little testing. bit, you know, mix a, mix a different 
tactics for sure. Less so the rope these days and, and more just, you know, game changer flies and bigger bigger streamer patterns with hooks. Uh, it just adds a little level of difficulty to it. So how big are you going? Are you going musky size or are you going? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, not a, I, I'd say comfortably staying in like the, the seven to 10 inch range. Yeah, right. Not, Something you know, that's no 15s yeah, yeah, yeah. inch flies, but yeah. I, mean, I guess if I was fishing big lakes for musky, I'd probably go that those bigger things. But you know, in like middle Tennessee, that musky water there, I've kind of like scaled back to the seven, eight inch thing, six inch, sometimes even a little smaller than that. And with somebody that's really new and not really casting sure. all that great, I'll go a little bit, you know, I'll, I'll tend down to that four, five, six inches and try to get closer and just really hit the wood and that sort of thing. Catch them on as small a fly as you can. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Can catch them on. Yeah. The, the not, floats are so long and take so much time. I mean, by the yeah. end of the day, they're just like, okay, uncle. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so you're using those flies. What else are you using to chase the, the gar? Because I'm not doing and, that. And we'll much. we'll uh, we'll throw poppers for them every oh. once in a while. Uh, stuff with trailer hooks and, and, and oh. the rope, the nylon uh, rope flies. Yeah, getting them on top water occasionally. Just experimental. That's I've cool. got a few. Uh, I wouldn't say they're mouse flies. They're rat flies. You know, mm-hmm. just to see if they'll come up and, and hit a rat. You know, <laughs> they, is that working for you? Uh, that one. That one's been a, a little touch and go. I think Henry Cowan said it best. You had a find the patterns you know as far as what are they are they on a bank are they doing this are they doing that but i think once you figure that out then you can start throwing those flies at them and really see what works and then put your mind into it of okay i got a pattern of what they're doing yeah when they might eat and how they might eat now let's try this you know just like you're doing yeah and let's try a a rat fly oh okay (laughs) maybe they see them you know maybe they don't but uh yeah you gotta gotta experiment and that's kind of why i why i love this area and, and try and tell people as often as i can like yeah just Find something new to explore, whether it's the backcountry smallmouth or, you know, the gar. I mean, I, I've enjoyed it just because it's a fishery to dissect, and I've got it all to myself. Right, you know? right. There's, there's no one competing for, no one's big hole in you uh, <laughs> for, for your gar spot. Uh, I've got a couple buddies I've turned on to it, but, uh, you know, no, just just trying to think outside the box. I think that's a big part of where, where fly fishing is going, especially now during COVID. It's like, you know, people aren't getting to take that trip to the Bahamas or, or go to those destination spots uh, as, as readily. And, and a lot of people are afraid to travel. So, you know, what's, what's close to home? Yeah. And, and, you know, you start kind of looking at your native fisheries, start picking things apart, you know, where, you know, are there smallmouth in this river? And, you know, how do I find them? How do I catch them? Uh, that sort of deal. That, that appeals to me. I like like figuring out a fishery especially right now i think that's a big deal because you're right you can you can you can obviously you can travel i've been traveling some not i mean i'm not in a hurry to jump on an airplane but i've been on some planes and, and that's yeah you know for various reasons but i'm not in a hurry to do it you yeah. know so if i could stay a little closer i probably would unless it's just something i really needed to do or had planned for a long time recently we were in california because we had had this plan for for a year so we went you know i was taking some extra precautions and and i see people that are you know i ask are you going down the bahamas this year you think you can get down there and they're like no but we're going to texas and we're going to do the bass thing sure, or, exactly. or, or we're going to michigan you know i need to know a guide up there and i you know okay well i can give you one up in you know traverse city uh and then down on the muskegon and yeah, you know, there's still some of that, and I've had people that have have called and said, "Hey, I just I can't come. I'm not flying into Nashville. I'm not flying at all for whatever reason. Maybe it's age. Maybe it's you know maybe a health condition where they're just not ready to get on a plane or not ready to travel, and you know they're looking a little closer to home. And we've got the same thing here. You know? Yeah, so. it, it's it's unfortunate what what it's done to to the industry to a lot of guides and lodges. And I had a ton of travel plans that just you know went to the wayside. Uh, yeah. stuff we were doing for for magazines and uh trips that just never came to be in lodges that some just shut down for the year you yeah. know they, they had that ability but the family-owned lodges is kind of where i Little put bit. my sympathy so we're, we're gonna try and do some hosted trips this year maybe take good. some take some people down the bahamas to some yeah. local owned stuff because they've been you know they're opened up there's there's a few more travel hookups involved in getting there but yeah. uh but it's worth it's a different you you just have to plan differently yeah you can still do it you just, some people can't for for underlying conditions and that sort of thing but if you're if you're not in that boat and you really want to travel you can travel it's just different it's a lot sure different. but yeah. the airports aren't as crowded that's for sure no planes and, aren't either and uh gonna host a little trip down to to louisiana this year uh-huh. and uh i was gonna tell the people like you can fly if you want to I'll pick you up at the airport, or you can just hop in the car. Yeah, seven, eight-hour drive. Let's go. You know, it's you know a little more, a little more approachable. Yeah, I think our drive from Middle Tennessee down to Woodland is probably nine-ish, about eight or nine hours, depending on how many times you stop and 
yeah and that sort of thing but you're going you're going all the way down past you know through the down the mississippi yeah, right? yeah 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 we're going past new orleans down south of new orleans on the mississippi on the west side of the river and then depending on what time of year you go you might just go on down another 30 minutes or so and be able to put in there what you might go over and to the east for an hour and put in there just depends on where the sure. where the wind with the water looks like and that yeah. sort of thing you know you got to play it by ear you got to be willing to do certain things to I, get I certain will, results yeah i will i will drive ridiculous distances for certain fish I, uh, tarp, yeah. tarpon especially our first time i can't even talk about tarpon because i haven't caught one yet and i've <laughs> just been i've been on boats but anyway our first time down to louisiana we drove an hour and then we got in the boat and went out to chandelier islands in a in a skiff if you can imagine that went about another hour and 10 15 minutes out there i'll do some pretty ridiculous stuff to get what i'm looking for and it was a super productive day too so it was well worth it and i've always wanted to fish there but well it's and it's it's part of that excitement of just a trip yeah you know yeah. driving down if it wasn't for gas i'd never stop for a tarpon <laughs> trip i mean i'm just so jazzed to get out there <laughs> That almost goes back to what we were talking about on the kickoff was was that anticipation. Yeah. You know, I think you can. I don't think you can. I know you can take it right back to that of all right. I got all you know. Ran down and got some flies, and I'm not going to use them. The last redfish trip, I tied probably two dozen flies and used two of them over the whole time. The whole time, I ended up leaving them with my my buddy. I was like, here, I'm not going to use them, and if I come when I come back, I'll just tie some more. He's like, you going to give the all these flies? He said these are really working. I'm like, yes. Yeah, use them he's like man you're you're crazy i'm like yep i am <laughs> we all are a little yeah. bit and i mean and you end up making these friendships and relationships too with folks just just like you know just like beats is is a he's a good guy you know you end up making these these friendships and, and you end up traveling and you end up getting to know each other and you know people ask me like about about my jobs with you know that i've had with the magazines and the traveling and all that like you know what's the best place you've ever been it's it's so much harder to say that but like my favorite people you know that that's a little easier to dissect because there's just so many great people in in this industry lodge owners and that's kind of been in a way like the best part of, of yeah. working and fly fishing is just incredible people I've, you know people that were like once heroes of mine and stuff and then you like meet them and then i you know invite you to go fishing i can't believe i'm fishing you know it's uh it, it's been really cool getting to get to know certain people and, and sure there's a little overlap with uh david cannon and i yeah. kind of yeah. uh, lived lived 45 minutes apart from each other you know same fly shops we we kind of hung out in uh, like jimmy harris's place unicoy i love that um, place yeah yeah <laughs> incredible that was like my first real fly shop experience in jimmy yeah in yeah really? at unicoy and i actually met jimmy on the river i was just some young kid didn't know where i was going on the chatuga he like kind of stopped me like hey you don't you don't want to walk on that trail like it leads to nothing <laughs> you're going to be bushwhacking you know to, to find the river so he's like that that sage yeah. sage man that like come this way yeah you know you young should, young whippersnapper right, right come learn a thing or two uh him and jeff derniak kind of point us in the right right that direction name, that name's come up before too yeah 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 it's one of those uh he's one of those guys who's uh inseparable from from the fly fishing scene in georgia he's yeah. just one of those names he's a super charitable guy uh always willing to like give advice and, and that sort of thing that brings back going in cumberland transit several many years ago now started guiding and trying to get you know trying to get a business off the ground and trying to honestly trying to figure out you know what do i cook for lunch and all that and then as time went on you know six eight months i started getting some clients come back which was really a big deal and then it led into the next year and that next year i walked in cumberland transit which is a fly shop up in nashville hmm. and they have a lot of different outdoors things but leo demumbrian was working there and i went in it was like on a thursday or something like that i was off and just went in and just was gonna pick up some stuff and he kept people were in there and he kept kind of you know, like motion, just like kind of hang on a minute, you know. So I hung around and probably picked up more stuff than, again, fly tying stuff that I really probably didn't need. After everybody left, uh, he said, come out, I, I need to talk to you. And he said, and I'll never forget this, he, he's the very first person that really came out and said this. He said, I've been talking to Ronnie, Grumpy, who's, who was really, he still is the manager for the fly shop, I guess. And he said, I've been talking to Ronnie. He said, we're going to take a chance on you. I didn't know exactly what that meant. He said, we're going to take a chance on you, and we're going to start sending you business. And, I mean, just it just it completely blew me away. Yeah. Uh, and just, I mean, just those people, just like, like Jimmy saying, don't go down that trail. Somebody to take you and say, hey, come this way. 
Yeah. And I try to remember that. I try to pay that back. That, yeah, you have to. Yeah. You, you have to, like, keep the torch going. Yeah, you know? and sometimes I'm good at it, and sometimes I'm not all that good at it, you know. Sometimes I'm so focused on, on helping who's in the boat or, or whatever that I just forget that, okay, well, I should, that dude over there needs some help, you know. Yeah. Even if it's just said, hey, just instead of coming back and whacking the water behind you, just stop that rod at your ear. Something as small as that can really make a big difference. In no, absolutely. And, and, and for someone like me who didn't have, you know, the the teachers in my family it was like kind of surrogate surrogate family that you yeah. pick up along the way in that fly fishing scene and for me it was members of my local trout unlimited chapter and in athens georgia uh the oconee river chapter kind of like went in there like this deer in the headlights like yeah you know walked <laughs> in my first meeting and it's just like everyone knew each other you kind of but they just this started coming out of the woodwork just willing to help and i think it was like my my second my second visit to to one of the tu meetings that i like won a a rod and a raffle oh you nice know? you know like a tfo rod and and i still still have and fish that rod to this day kind of sentimental but aside from just the gear it was just the knowledge people willing to, to come forward and like well have you ever fished this well saturday we're going why don't you you know yeah. hop in a car with us and and there were so many people willing to like lessen their experience to to better mine uh, and that's kind of been the story not only just in, in general fly fishing but in, in magazines and and just anything to do with, with this industry, there's just those people that are willing to kind of recognize someone who's, who's maybe up and coming and, and, and take the time to, to pass that, that torch a little bit. It seems like I try to pass what was passed to me too, like especially early on, some little piece of knowledge, get that fly in front of the fish's face. Yeah. So, you know, you might be fishing dry flies when, when you see that fish quote unquote rise wasn't really it's just something eating a, a fish eating an emerger somebody stopping me and going you're not going to catch that on a dry yeah. well he's rising well no not really he's not really rising you're seeing his back come up out of the water you're not seeing his mouth come out of the water and there's something very different there cut the dry off and put this midge that's going to float in the film and you'll see that that'll be a big difference there. You know, those things that I was taught early on, I think I passed those little bits of knowledge. Not that I have a ton of knowledge, but, I, you know, those types of things, I try to pass those on more than probably anything. Presentation's a big thing with me, and I say it probably in every podcast. If you listen to any of them, you've heard me talk about it. I was taken aside by my buddy Pat up in Knoxville, and he was like, presentation, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that. You got to mend this way, you got to mend that way, or you don't need to mend at all, you know. Quit, quit laying a bunch of line on the water, David. You know, those sorts of things that people just, they tell you. At the time that they tell you, you really don't understand it until you look back. Yeah. When you look back, then you realize how critical it really was. Well, the technical information is, you know, the, the hardest to come by. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, buddy, another TU friend, Danny Jackson, a young guy my age, but he had that long, you know, kind of storied family history, right. you know, kind of, uh, of fishing. So he was just really technical fisher, you know, kind of. I, I was just at the time going out there slinging, uh, you know, thinking my bobbers around and just, <laughs> you know, kind of had the basics down. But just one of those people just kind of, he's very technical and he just helped impart that knowledge, just, you know, working with mending and just, you know, just, just fishing from the ground up. Yeah, a lot of people in that, in that Trout Unlimited group that were to blame. I'll, I'll say to blame. It is a blame. For, yes. Yes. Just they just dug the trench a little deeper. You come know, and for, went and you didn't ever know the difference, but all of a sudden you told me all this stuff and now here I am, 20 fly rods in the garage and a boat. Yeah. I couldn't tell you how many flies and reels and rods and, sure, and, sure. and two and cabinets full of t- fly tying crap with a big old table that's hope my wife doesn't listen to this and <laughs> <laughs> for me it's 10 years later you, you know you own a fly shop own a fly shop you, right yeah you got a whole lot more than 20 rods yeah exactly absolutely yeah, yeah but it's it's all it's all been worth it and just uh it wouldn't have happened without without the people along the way that kind of stepped up and, and and found someone with questions and, and had the time and the patience to answer them uh, and then, and then a lot of YouTube videos, a lot of YouTube videos. <laughs> so when you do your YouTube thing, how do you search? Do you just stick a, stick something in and start from there, and then you, next thing you know, it's four hours later. Well, I, I think it starts with with general inquiry, right? You know, you turn online like how how to mend or you know yeah. whatever it is, and you come across a video or, or how to tie this fly, and then you discover like Tim Flagler's videos, and then you just become a diehard fan, <laughs> yes. and just every video you always 
taking that stuff in. And uh, yeah, there's just been certain people like that, Tim Flagler and certain writers that gear rock and play, you know, things like oh, you yeah. just, you just take it all in as much as you can yeah. uh, once you become a fan. And, and those are kind of the people that indirectly helped me along the way. And, and Leo Grumpy were the ones that in, at Common Transit got me into uh, Scott Waldy and uh, Travers Corner series. There's three books, a trilogy set in Montana, little, little town of Montana. Uh, and there's a guide out there. He's a family guy that his great great grandfather owned a ranch. Went out in the into the west and got a bunch of land, and then passed it down and passed it down. And all of a sudden, he's at kind of at the end of the line there. Still on part of the ranch, but a very small part because it, it had got sold off by his father and grandfather. So he's living now in the carriage house, uh, mm-hmm. and he builds boats, builds wooden boats. He's a slow builder. It's a little town in Montana. You know, it's got the the quintessential diner and you know he knows the guy that owns the diner and you know he's friends with his with the guy that owns the diner's niece i think or daughter one of the two and just drives a little old jeep willis and and you know he's got wooden boats he's building boats for people he's got his own boat he's got a dog and i mean it's just so those those types of things what i'm talking about you kind of get very similar to getting into those books that whenever i was done with them i was like oh i hate this is over you know, because he Scott Waldy passed, of course, and you know there won't be another. Uh, it's gonna, always going to be a trilogy, but I mean, you can do the same thing in YouTube and get in there and just, you know, get hung on that one person. That it, it doesn't have to be the best production in the world, but the information has to grab you. Sure, and man, when it does, you just like I said, you wait, you look up. Oh no, it's two o'clock in the morning. I've got to be on the river at six, so I've got to get. Oh no, I've got three hours sleep. Yeah, you know, for me it was trout bone. Uh, yeah, gear like trap. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've read it, <laughs> but uh, I had always uh, had aspirations of being a, a journalist and kind of kind of went a different route. So it was, I think it was reading that that it like came back around. That I was like, man, he just he paints that that western fly fisher lifestyle in, in such a way that it, it's, it makes it so entertaining and i you know have a very different experience from him don't get me wrong i'm not saying i'm, I'm the next uh, gear rock or anything like that but i i just love his writing and and kind of modeled some things you know after him i started reading his books and i can't i couldn't tell you when it's in the past 15 years or so and my favorite favorite essay is camp coffee i don't know why i like that one so much but i just do like i could pick it up now and read it again just like it was the first time but reading his stuff i was like oh you know i think this would be great to be a writer you know he's he's writing and he's out going all these different places and then i quickly figured out okay david you don't have the talent for that but still again another person that you get into reading and or listening to or watching or whatever and you just yeah, I can sit and read those books for a long period of time. Yeah, you know, it's not just a, I'm going to read two pages. It's I'm going to read five pages, and the next thing I know, it's a chapter. Yeah, you know? get dug in. Totally, totally get that. It's just you know, it's a different different type of delivery is the information but you know one is more visual and the other is more reading and trying to take it in all of them can teach you something you can learn something from just about any any of that which is another piece of this that's really cool because you, you never learn it all there's some really great anglers out there that i've talked to and and the ones that are really really good they realize that all right there's a ton of stuff that i don't even know and and anyone who claims otherwise <laughs> yeah you want to run from those folks <laughs> <laughs> absolutely I think I could sit in this fly shop and just talk for another hour, two hours, uh, and then I would probably have to go somewhere and, and, and get a motel and drive home <laughs> tomorrow morning. Yeah, and um, it's the space too. You know, try and create a, a cool space. The it, beer bar, you know, all that. You can have a beer and just hang out here. Yeah, which we've done. We've had a yeah. we've had a beer, uh, and and then you've got the dog sign over here too, which I really appreciate. And then when I first got here, the guy was in here with the dog. Yeah, and I was like, okay, this is a cool place. He's got the two dog bowls here. Uh, as long as your dog is somewhat behaved, I think that you're cool with that. The sign moderately behaved. Moderately well. behaved, right. Um, yeah, we get a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, which, uh, you know, a fly shop, you should be able to bring a dog in a fly shop. I don't know if I'm, I'm ready. One of my dogs I could bring in here. The other one I would not bring in here. A small children as well. Yeah. I've got a three-year-old who's, who's already uh, knocked over at least a couple thousand oh. dollars worth of rods, you know, <laughs> which is why we installed the, the bungee across the rods to, to keep them up. But So it is a cool space. I mean, I'm, it's enjoyable. you got some good paintings and that sort of thing. It, the shop is like a, an extension of me in yeah. a way because, you know, I, I actually, when I mentioned uh, earlier that I thought about a career in jur- journalism, 
uh, I went and made an even worse decision and went into art. <laughs> and so I, I, I ended up in studio art doing a lot of painting and, uh-huh. and uh, ended up uh, with a degree in uh, graphic design. But uh, studio art was my thing. And so the minute I saw this, you know, big, big exposed brick wall, yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, we should have art in here. Yep. And then we, the idea came, well, let's have Let's have like you know uh, circulating artist, local or, or national. Just get a different artist in here every couple months. Uh, so we're happy to right now. You have Matt Monahan stuff up, um, really cool kind of Japanese uh, printmaking style using real fish. Yeah, I've noticed uh, that. Really, really unique stuff, and got some other artists lined up after him. So there's the art aspect that's a part of me, and then the the beer aspect, which is definitely a part of me. Uh, you know, be, former bartender. Yeah, former bartender yeah. Uh, through college, and, and manager of a you know beer department of a of a liquor store. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's just all these things kind of kind of coming together. You know, I think it, yeah, it's an extension of me. Yeah. So if is. you like if, if you like the shop, I think we can get along. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh... <laughs> I've got a friend that's an artist, uh, Dan Charlie. He does watercolors. I told him one time, I was like, you know, Dan, I think I could paint, knowing that I couldn't. You know, I said, I, I think if, you know, if I was able to find the time, which I don't have, but if I was able to find the time, I said, I think that, you know, you teach me a thing or two. You know, I think I could paint fish and stuff. And he just, he was, yeah, you probably can, although he's probably in, in the inside, in his inside voice, he was probably thinking, you have no talent, David. He does have talent. I mean, he is really, you know, he does the, what do they call them, where somebody asks you to paint something, uh, commission. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, he commission commissions, work. and then he's got prints and all that. And when I see art now, I see it differently because I've seen it kind of behind the scenes where he's doing stuff, and I, I've got a different appreciation for it. So some, and, and the sure. stuff that we're looking at in here is really, really pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I had an art professor in, in college who you say the hardest part of painting is painting. And you could take that multiple ways, but I always took it as, you know, finding the time to actually do it, yeah. sitting down and actually painting. But yeah, it, you know, it, it's cool to have in the shop and people really like it. It, it kind of adds a different element, uh, you know, try and make it a, a, shop, a shop for the people, but at the same time, uh, a shop for the people who, who don't know anything about fly fishing. Maybe a spouse comes in here. Yeah. Uh, it's not their thing, but, you know, it gives them something to thumb through and look out on the walls and read the bios and stuff like that. Um, so just, you know, trying to create a cool space all around, whether you want a beer, want some art, shop, whatever. What do you think the biggest thing about owning a fly shop is that it seems to be the toughest thing? I've just, I've walked into shops where you have that, that kind of like locals only vibe, you know, kind of a, you know, you feel like there's a hierarchy and you're not part of it. You know, right. that, that, you know, maybe that, you know, it's a little snobby. I, I just, I wanted to have the, the least stuffy shop I possibly could. So, you know, we put on good music and we just kind of, just kind of create yeah, a, an, the, an atmosphere. Yeah. Just that, you know, it's a little welcoming. You, you had know? the dead on there and Bob Marley was on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of dead. A lot of yeah, dead. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I don't know. Just trying not to have a stuffy shop, you know, creating an atmosphere, you know, one that people can hang out. And this year has been a little weird because, you know, we can't have our tying events and, and we're right. still trying to navigate events and how how all that how that works now covid times uh because you have to so many more rules and, and things like that and we don't want to put people in danger but yeah you know, right uh just just atmosphere you know i think that hierarchy i don't even really think it's a local thing i think it's uh you're either in a clique sure or you're not and it doesn't really matter as much if you're local or not even out west there's some of that that goes on fortunately there's not a ton of that in the south pretty much most people are pretty cool most of the shops are pretty cool yeah. But you can get out west, especially late in the season when a ton of tourists have been out there and you know, sure. thumb through every fly rod and broken two or three and ask, you know, are there trout out here? That, that sort of thing. I think they kind of get tired of that. You still have to remember that it's really a guest. Try and be attentive to everyone and things like that. But, yeah, I mean, here we don't have those short uh, but hard-lived seasons. It's more spread out throughout the year. Right. Uh, and back in Georgia, you know, to talk about – Jimmy and, and David Cannon and, and Henry, there was such a good atmosphere in that state. From my perspective, there was no like competition. Right. You know, it was like everyone was like really amicable and like got along really well. Big, you know, film events and stuff like that. Just a great big party. Everyone was happy to see one another, but just a really like open state. Like everyone was willing to share and just it was, it was a great place to be to like start as a fly fisher. It was, it was a perfect 
I have I felt that with each interview I've done down there. Yeah. The most relaxing 15 minutes I had was sitting on on Jimmy's porch in the rocking chair right yeah. by the road. The sun was shining down there, and I was just sitting there rocking. And you know everybody that came in and out said hello. Yeah. And I said hello to them. Yeah. And just super relaxed atmosphere. And then when Jimmy and David got there, it was just like, hey, you know, like I've almost known them. Yeah, you know, yeah. For a long, long time. And I had really, that was really, the, other than talking on the phone and, and through the social media thing, not really have ever met them in person. But as soon as we met, it was like, game on. Let's let's get to talking. Let's get down yeah, yeah. and figure this and, thing out. And uh, figure this thing out. I think there's a race on Brown Road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we have a hospital down the road, so it does get a little noisy from time to time. But uh, no, and, you know, I had met Jimmy long before I'd met David. And I think Jimmy could kind of tell, like, oh, here's this young guy. He's, like, super hungry. Yep. I was always in there just, you know, trying to get information and then just talk, you know. And, and, and I think he maybe recognized that, like, this kid's not going away <laughs> kind of deal. And he was like, you know what, you remind me a little bit of, of, of this other guy I should introduce you to. His name's David Cannon. You have similar interests in, in you know, magazines and stuff like that. And I had no clue David had worked for Graves and, and things like that. And so... <laughs> Uh, we just now it's kind of interesting because we did meet many years later, um, but we had you know similar friends and things like that, um, and even similar <laughs> resume lines. Yeah, you know, yeah, very similar. Yeah, but uh, similar. we traveled together a little bit. Uh, you know, did a, a bone tri- a bone fish trip uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, took David down. He's an incredible photographer. Oh, yeah, uh, and just is. such an awesome guy yeah. to be around. And I'm just. I heard you talk about his Walmart yarn, uh, which is like become a favorite of anybody who knows so, David. But the, so much fun. To but read. one thing I, I didn't hear that came across in the interview is his uh, his love of desserts. Until I traveled with him, I didn't know this. We went to Abaco Island. We were staying at, at a lodge there, and first night of dinner, you know, we had our wives with us, and you know, they bring out the menus, and you know, can I see a dessert menu? You know, I thought he was just a he kind of guy who plans ahead. <laughs> But he just went right there at that moment, ordered a, a big old slice of chocolate cake before dinner. Yeah. And it turns out that's a thing of his. He eats, yep. he eats dinner or he eats dessert before dinner. I've got a friend uh, that says life's short, eat dessert first. And yeah. it, if you think about it, it's a great metaphor yeah. for everything. You sure. know, get the fun stuff in there. Get the good stuff in there. Make sure you get it. Yeah, you know? I think that's David's mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sorry to go off, off topic, but no, it's, no. Just, it's a funny thing about him. <laughs> What a good conversation. Sure. Uh, which is all part of it. I do appreciate you hosting us here at, uh, at the Hatch Outfitters. And you can find the Hatch Outfitters at thehatchoutfitters.com. Right on Brainerd Road, close to the Brainerd Tunnels. If you've enjoyed this episode, we really would appreciate that five-star rating. Wherever you're listening to uh, this episode of Southeastern Fly. Again, Seth, really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having me on. 